It's so nice to be with you this morning. Um, my name's Ashley, as uh, Titi just introduced me. If you don't know me, um, I've been at Chichester site for ever and ever and ever. I'm part of the site team here. So if you don't know me, come and say hi afterwards. It'd be really lovely to get to know you. Um, I'm going to be talking this morning a little bit from Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be continuing the series on Exodus that Joe started with us last week. Um, now, identity is a very, very current topic at the moment in our society, isn't it? This idea of being able to express who you are in whatever way you want um, seems to be increasingly important and accepted as well. But who we are and who people think we are are often two actually very different things, aren't they? Now, I'm sure you've seen one of the first things that people ask when they meet you for the first time is that question, so what do you do for a living then? And, uh, and I always struggle a little bit with this question when people ask me. I don't have, like, a job title like a teacher. Like, my job's kind of complicated to explain. And, and I'm never sure if someone's just, like, they genuinely want to know or if they're just being polite. So if you start to tell them and they're like, oh, my gosh, she's actually telling me. Um, <laughs> you never really know. But for some reason, this idea of knowing what we do, like, for a living or being at home with our children helps people to kind of feel that they know you better. Um, and because this idea of... of our identity being so wrapped up in the idea of what we do. And because for some reason it matters so much what other people seem to think about us, we end up in this weird place where sometimes we kind of inflate ourselves or increase ourselves to be more than we actually are. Um, I've been looking recently at the jobs market and seeing what kind of jobs are around. And I've come up with some amazing job titles that have been found as I've been looking for it. One of the ones I came across was this job for an education center nourishment consultant. Now I see this and I'm like, cool, this person is obviously, this is way too qualified for me. This is someone with a PhD in nutrition who probably charges about £150 an hour for consultancy fees. It's a dinner lady or a dinner man. (laughs) He came across a sanitation engineer again. This is someone who's clearly got a degree in engineering, right? And obviously is really, really smart and uh, has years of experience. It's a bin man or a bin woman? And then my favourite one uh, that I found was the director of first impressions, which turns out is a receptionist. (laughs) Now the thing is, right, all of these are actually really important jobs in and of themselves. They don't need to be inflated, right? We couldn't do without these people in our society. But we can be so concerned with this idea of kind of making ourselves more than we are that we end up bordering on the ridiculous sometimes, And also these days, I think, obviously, social media and filters on faces and all those things, it doesn't doesn't help, does it? And so as we're going to be continuing our series on um, the book of Exodus this morning, we're going to be looking quite a bit about identity. And we're going to be spending time looking at the story of Moses and what happens when he asks God the question, who am I? And what we're going to be seeing is, as Moses asks this question of God, who am I, that actually what God does is reveal not who Moses is, but more of who God is. So we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3. Feel free to to get it out in your Bibles, but it will be up on the screen, so we'll follow along on that. But before we do, I think it's worth just having a brief recap of where we've got to so far in the story, so that we can understand what's happening. So earlier in the year, we looked at the series of Genesis, and it was loads of fun. And what we saw during that was we learned all about this very special covenant relationship that God had with his people of Israel. And they knew that they were his people. They were God's people. 
And we saw time and time again God's repeated promises that he would be with them, that he would never forsake them, and that he would be, his, that he, that he would be their God. And then the book of Genesis ends with a story of Joseph, Joseph sorry, and his very powerful redemption or forgiveness that he has with his brothers, and they settle in the land of Egypt. And so last week, we took this story up from here, and we saw how 400 years have passed since this time. And so the people of Israel are in Egypt, and they've multiplied, but the kings have changed, and there's a new pharaoh in town, and they do not like the Israelites. They are getting too big, too powerful for them, and so they press them into slavery. And when that doesn't work and subdue them enough, then they decide that they're going to kill every single baby boy that is born to the Israelites. And that is where Moses comes into the story. That's what he was born into. And Moses, he grows up and he sees one of his people, one of the Israelites, being mistreated by an Egyptian. And he kills this Egyptian guy. And then rather than stay and face justice, he runs away into the wilderness. And he ends up settling down and becoming a shepherd in a place called Midian and raising a family there. But we're told that during this time, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, And it says that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. And so that's where our passage this morning comes in. So we're going to have a look together. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed indeed, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of God? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of my fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Uh, What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation 
to generation. So there's loads going on in this story. There's about like 12 preachers just in this one story here all together. But I'm just going to do one small bit, lucky you. Um, so Moses, he's out, he's having a very standard, normal day. He's minding his own business. He's tending some sheep. When all of a sudden he sees this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning. He is, his curiosity is piqued. So he decides to go and have a look. And as he comes closer, God says to him, do not come any closer. The ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And then God gives Moses this incredible message that he's heard their suffering. He's seen them. He's heard this cry. And he is going to send him to Pharaoh to help bring his people out of Egypt and into their own land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. When it says that, it means a, man, a land that's plentiful, a land that has everything that they need, and a land that is theirs. And what is Moses' response to this incredible message? Who, me? Me? Who, who am I? Who am I to do this? I'm just, I'm just a shepherd. See, Moses here, he's having a little bit of a crisis of identity, God has asked him to do this absolutely monumentous task, and he asks, who am I? And what I love about this passage is that God doesn't get cross at him for asking him this question of who he is. But he also, he doesn't answer him in the way that he's expected. You see, it was actually natural for Moses to feel quite inadequate because Moses was inadequate. This is a massive thing that he was asked to do. And God doesn't say to him, oh, but like, dude, you're Moses. Haven't you heard about you? You're amazing. You're like, you're the director of first impressions to the king of Egypt. You know, he's, he's not like that, is it? No, he turns it back to himself and he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Who am I? It doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. I've asked you to do this thing and I will be with you. You see, it's all about God, right? Moses wasn't incredible. He wasn't. He was fully human. He was fully flawed. We've seen already in the story that he has rage. He even killed someone. And then he doesn't even bother to stay around for justice. He runs away. He was not incredible. He was fully flawed. You see, none of what Moses goes on to do and accomplish was because of how great he was. It was all in God's strength. And God never asked us to do something that we have to do all in our strength. He offered him all kinds of resources. We'll, we'll, we'll see as we go on over the next few weeks. He offered him his brother, Aaron, to help him. He offered him himself. He gave him the ability to do all these miracles. He never expects you to do something in your own strength. And he was never expecting Moses to do anything in, this, in his own strength. And then, in contrast to this very, like, inward-looking, who am I question that Moses asks, God goes on to tell him exactly who he is. He says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in fact, in this one small chapter that we've seen this morning, he says that three times which means it's important, right? It means we've got to be paying attention to what he's saying. Now, the Israelites of like yesteryear, so to speak, the Israelites of before Moses' time, they would have known exactly 
who this God was. They were very familiar with all the amazing works that God had done with their ancestors and their forebearers. And their whole identity as a people of Israel was that this was their God. And they were his like chosen special people. And as a person inside of that community, their whole identity would have been that that was who they were. Except 400 years have passed. And during that time, they've been living in Egypt. And not just like the Egypt of today, but ancient Egypt, right? With all of these gods with different personalities and different names. And even the Pharaoh was deemed to be a deity at the time. And it was an all-consuming culture of worshipping all these different deities. And over the years, their faith and their identity and who they were had become diluted. They didn't even know who God was was anymore and so Moses has heard that God is the God of his ancestors but where once this would have had like really immediate meaning now he says to them suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them the God of your father uh, has sent me to you and they say to me what's his name (laughs) what shall I say to them now I feel like this is a really awkward moment in the Bible for Moses but you know what this awkwardness really resonates with me I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've met someone and you know you've met them before and you cannot remember their name for the life of you and it is so awkward and I always feel like you can ask someone one more time what their name is but after that like you've got to find another way to find out their name yeah a little while ago last year my brother he moved to Chichester from America we were hanging out in the park together one day with my children, not just by ourselves. And, um, and we came across some people who I kind of, like, I knew them. You know, I knew them enough to say hello to. And we got chatting, and my brother was kind of, like, lurking behind me. And it got to that point in the conversation when you're like, no, they're still talking, and this is getting rude. Like, I need to introduce them. So I did that thing, which I don't know if you guys do, and I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't int- This is my brother, Zach. And then I just, like, left a pause. <laughs> like, and you're just hoping desperately, aren't you, that they are introducing themselves back to him. But everyone knows what's going on in that situation. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening here a little bit. Like, <laughs> it's like Moses is saying to them, okay, so I go to them, and suppose they ask what their name is, and I say to them, like, a big awkward pause waiting for God to fill that in. But do you know what? God isn't phased even slightly by this. He answers Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And do you know what? This is the first time in the whole Bible that God actually identifies himself. So there are lots of places in the Bible that we've seen where God has different names. He's already called the Lord or God very commonly. And in, like in Genesis and the book before this, there are lots of different names that are given to him. We have um, El Elyon, which is God Most High. We've seen him be called El Roy, which means God who sees me. El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Olam, the Eternal God. These are all names of God, and they're all right. But actually what they are is they're all part of God's character. They're like attributes of God. They're They're the names that are used to designate him. But here, God himself introduces himself by saying, I am who I am. Or sometimes it can be translated as, I will be who I will be. Now, if you'll just indulge me, I'm just going to have a little geek out for a minute, because we're going to take a a quick look at what the Hebrew of this word actually means and says, because it actually is really important. 
So the Hebrew symbol for this I am who I am is that symbol at the top. And what it is literally um, translated as is these three letters, Y-H-W-H. And this is called a tetragrammaton because it just consists of these only four letters. Now, you'll note as well that there are no vowels in these letters, right? And there never have been. And so over time, though, people have kind of started to pronounce it as, or not started to, but for a long time have pronounced it as Yahweh. And it's universally acknowledged now that that's sort of how it's pronounced. And what these four letters mean are, I am who I am. Now, in Jewish tradition, these four letters here are considered to be so holy that they wouldn't even say this name. And over time, they began to substitute it for other words such as Adonai, which is my Lord, or Elohim, which is God. Now, our own English language doesn't actually have an exact translation of this word Yahweh. So what you'll actually see in most of your Bibles is it's written as Lord in capital letters, right? So not Lord in small letters, but Lord in capital letters, Now, this is different from when we see the word Lord written in smaller letters, because what this is usually saying is Adonai, which means king or master. And this is like, it's a function, okay? It's a role or an office of God. So as we saw with those names earlier, they are all like attributes of God. But this idea of being a king or a master, you have to have something to be a king or a master over. So like King Charles, he is our king of England at the moment, but he wasn't our king last year, was he? So being king isn't like who he is. He is now king because of the role that he does. And so when we see the word Lord, which is different from, as Lord is in small letters, which is different from Lord's capital letters, Yahweh, it's his name, which is irrespective of God's function or office. But actually, this divine, beautiful name of Yahweh here, it tells us so much more than what God does It tells us who God is. And there is so much beauty in that. I'm just going to unpack that a little bit. Three of the things this morning that actually what this name of God tells us about who God is. One of the first things is that Yahweh is self-existent. And therefore he's not dependent on anything or anyone else for his own existence. In Colossians it says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, in many cultures around the world, um, the names of people have a great deal of meaning. And sometimes these can be quite like prophetic names, like joy or blessing or mercy. Um, In the UK, historically, they've been much more practical. So names like, certainly our surname, so my maiden name was Wells. Um, That's pretty boring. It most likely meant spring man, like, so either... Our family lived near a collection of springs or were in charge of the village well. I mean, it's not quite exciting, that, is it? Um, I was named Ashley, not for any particularly prophetic, incredible meaning, but because my mum worked with someone called Ashley, who she really liked. So that's where my name comes from. But you see, my name, it doesn't exist in and of itself. Both parts of my name tie me to something else. And if your surname is like Cooper or uh, Smith, or Wilson. Your names are all because of something that your family maybe once did, or whose son that you are, but not so with God's name, right? With this revelation, with this I am who I am, God is saying, I am the source of everything. I am not come from another thing. I am. 
I am the source of everything. And you see, this is where that difference between Lord with capital letters and Lord with smaller letters really actually matters and really is important to understand the difference because the Lord Yahweh is not dependent on anything or anyone else. Whereas the Lord, as in my king or master, has to be a king or master over something else. Right? It's a role that can only coexist with someone else. So if we think that that is just who God is, then we are missing who God is. So he can be Lord over your life. He can be king of the world, but regardless of all of those things, he is Lord. So God is not, sorry, God is self-existent. He's not um, dependent upon his creation at all. There is nothing that he needs from you or from me. He has no area of lack, right? And he will ask things of you. And he longs to have a relationship with you. He loves you and he wants you to know that and to love him back. He is worthy of your praise and of your worship, but he does not need it. Okay? So every time you step out in faith for God, he's doing it because it's going to bless you. It's going to really bless you by doing it. And if you choose to step out, that's okay, right? Like, God's whole plan for humanity is not based on whether you do or do not do something that God has asked you to do. And Moses had a choice too, and he said, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. He still could have gone, nah, thanks, nah, I'm all right. And God would have, you know, his plans still would have come to fruition. But he offers you this chance to serve him, and because, because he loves you, and he wants to bless you with this life of faith. But irrespective of that, he is Lord. Second thing we can um, understand more about who God is from this name is that Yahweh is the creator and the sustainer of all. We see this all throughout the uh, stories in the beginning of the book of Genesis. We also see it in Isaiah 40 here where it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God created all things. He created time. He created matter. He created you. And in this simple I am statement, what God is doing is he is restating that he always existed. He is eternal. He always has been and he always will be. And, you know, I find this utterly comforting because what it tells me is that when I am praying to God, I am not praying to someone who has weaknesses, I'm praying to someone who didn't just create the world, but continues to sustain every single part of it. He doesn't require any external forces to like care for him or tend for him, whereas I am totally, utterly, completely dependent on God for every single part of my life. Even people who don't know God are utterly dependent on him. They just don't know it. See, when we are in Christ, though, we can rest in the knowledge that God has us, that he is our provider, he is the one who promises to never ever leave us nor forsake us, he has no weaknesses. And the third thing that we can see from this gorgeous name is that Yahweh is unchanging. In Hebrews it says he's the same yesterday, today and forever. God is utterly, utterly unchanging, right? His name describes this like eternal power and unchanging character. And what that means is that we have the freedom to enjoy God without having to spend all our time trying to understand him and figure him out. Because every single thing that we need to know about God is written in scripture and it doesn't, it doesn't change. 
See, it's not like us. Yeah, we change, don't we? We change all the time. I am not the same person now as I was 20 years ago. Praise God for that. Like our experiences, they shape us, don't they? I mean, even the Ashley you get here at 10 o'clock in a Sunday morning is very, very different than the one my family gets at 5 in the morning when my son is waking us all up singing sea shanties from his bed loudly. It's very, very different. So I change, like, over the course of several hours of a day, and it depends on how much sleep I've had and how well I'm feeling and, you know, whether it's sunny outside, all those different things. But not so with God. So he has many different characteristics, right? He is so loving. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. He is so forgiving. But he is also passionate about justice. And he burns with a righteous anger for those who have been oppressed. We've seen all of those characteristics just in this one chapter this morning that we've been looking at. God said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And then, as we'll see in the next few weeks, he goes on to pour out his justice for those people. And at the same time, he is love and he is mercy. But you see, he is all of those things, but he doesn't change. And we live in a world where everything is changeable, right? Don't like the prime minister? Change him. Don't like that one? Change him again. (laughs) Not comfortable with the Holocaust? Deny it ever existed. Not comfortable with your gender? Get it changed. I mean, God does not conform to any of these changes. He is consistent throughout it all. He doesn't change his nature based on what is popular or new at the moment. And it is deeply comforting and reassuring to know in this world that it's kind of dizzying in how quickly everything changes that God does not Now, something we're going to be seeing as we continue this whole journey into Exodus, which I'm so excited about. It's going to be a great series. But what we're going to be seeing is how this story is constantly pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. Okay, the whole story is about God's rescue of his people out of slavery and into freedom. And the whole story of Exodus is is a foretaste of what Jesus Christ is going to do for us on the cross. And so we've seen this morning how this name Yahweh, or I am who I am, allows us to understand the, uh, the self-existent, the unchanging character of God. But, you know, Jesus also identifies exactly as this. In John 8, verse 8, sorry, verse 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. We see it in this bottom verse here from Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? This is not some irrelevant Old Testament God that we are looking at when we are looking at these names. My friends, this is Jesus Christ we are talking about, who has all of these characteristics. He is self-existent. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is unchanging. In John 1 verse 3, it says of Jesus that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You see, we talked a bit earlier when we were looking at these, didn't we, about how God doesn't need us in any way but that makes it just all the more wondrous that he wants us he doesn't need anything from us but he wants us so much this is a God who was so motivated by love that he came down in human form and took the punishment that we deserve and we're going to be taking communion shortly in a moment and we're going to be spending some time reflecting on that as we do that See, our world, it will do 
everything in its power to confuse us, to confuse who we are, to make us question our worth, to make us question our value. And you see, when our identity is rooted in ourselves, we're going to be just tossed from wave to wave at the whim of whatever society says is, is all right next. There is no surety or foundation to be found with constantly asking that question, who am I? Moses asked, who am I? And God answered him by showing him who he was. See, our God, <laughs> he's amazing. Right? We can call him friend because he is our friend. And we can call him king because he is our king. We can call him savior because he saved you. But the name Yahweh is different. This is who God is. It is outside of you. It is outside of me. It's about who God is. And we need to be firmly rooted in God, not ourselves, if we're going to walk into all the things that God has created and, and called us into. So I'm just going to uh, pray for us, and then I'm going to hand back over to Ola. Should we, we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you invite us to call you Lord because you want to be the Lord of our lives. Father, we can call you Savior because of this amazing thing that you have done on the cross for us. But Yahweh, we worship you for who you are. Nothing to do with us for who you are, for your self-existent, for your unchanging, for your uncreated and all-sustaining being. And Lord, we ask that you would work in us this morning, Father, to, to transform our understanding of you for who you are, not for who you are to us. And we pray that you would help us to lift our gaze away from ourselves, our like fully flawed and changeable all the time selves to you who never changes. And Lord, we thank you for this incredible wonder that even though you don't need us, you want us and you want to have relationship with us. And you are way everlasting, Lord. We love you and we thank you. Amen.